there's this video on YouTube um, of this girl. Uh, it's from 2014, so it's not absolutely current, but, but she's in her skateboard or on her skateboard in a half pipe. If, if you know what a half pipe is, it's not a whole pipe, it's a half pipe. It, you know, it's a bit of a U. Um, and uh, she's nine years old and she's trying to do this thing. She's trying to land this thing called a 540 vert. Okay? And, uh, and I know that whenever you say anything like this in the UK accent, it just sounds so cooler. She's trying to land a 540 vert, right? And, uh, and, and for those of us who are not cool enough like me to know what a 540 vert is, um, and I may or may not have had to look this up as part of my research, but a 540, a 540 vert is what happens when you're, you're, you're in the half pipe and you're skating along and you're on the horizontal and then you go up the half pipe uh, and of course, you have sufficient velocity so that you leave the half pipe. And then what happens is that you're facing this way, and then you turn. Then while you're in the air, this is like in a split second. While you're in the air, you you turn 180 degrees, okay, and then you turn 360 degrees, and then you turn 540 degrees, and you land. Okay, that's what a 540 vert is. Am I right, Hollands? Okay, good. And, uh, and so it's this 180 plus 180 plus 180 equals 540. And so there's this girl, uh, her name is Saber Norris, and she tries over and over again in, in this video to land this 540 vert, and she wipes out and she wipes out and she wipes out. But eventually after, I don't know how many times she finally lands her first 540 vert and she screams and she's so excited and uh and you know you can understand that right that why you would scream if you're nine years old and you've you know you saw a 16 year old boy try to skateboard uh you know you know the length of the sanctuary right and this is a nine-year-old who's able to do this it's impressive and this video has been watched over Four and a half million times on YouTube, and it's been liked 71,000 times. So there are 71,000 people across the world who agree that uh, a 540 vert is impressive, particularly if you're nine. Last Sunday, we um, finished our series on Exodus, and, uh, and, and, and Exodus, if you remember, was all about you know, God establishing a relationship with, you know, the people of Israel who were slaves. And so, first of all, he rescues them, and then he gives them his law, uh, which, and, um, and through the law, he establishes what kind of a relationship this is between him and them. And then through the creation of the tabernacle, uh, he assures them of his presence in their midst. Now, this morning, we're starting a teaching series on the book of, of Galatians, and this will take us up to the start of Advent. Now, now Galatians was written uh, about 1,500 years after what happened in Exodus. So a lot has changed. You see, you know, the book of Exodus was written about Jews escaping uh, uh, captivity, whereas the book of Galatians is written to a bunch of, of Gentile, non-Jewish churches. 
And so a lot has changed, right? 1,500 years, one and a half thousand years. Uh, But it's more than just a case that culture has moved on because actually the spiritual landscape, if you're looking at the spiritual landscape, it has utterly changed for all time because Jesus in that time in between the book of Exodus and the, you know, in the book of Galatians, that Jesus Christ has come, he died, he rose again, he went up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came and the church was created. And so all that's happened, so things are not the same. And so this, and so why, why this is a major event, why Jesus coming and dying and rising again is a major event is because Jesus fulfilled the law that was given in the book of Exodus, right? He fulfilled it. Um, in fact, in the words of Jesus, uh, he says this. Well, let me just turn it on. He says this. Let's all read this together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And so the law was given to us by God to prepare the world for Jesus. The law was given to show us that we could not be saved by keeping the law. It was given, the, the law was given to show us that we couldn't be saved through, through the keeping of the law because no one, no one kept the law because our nature is sinful. And so the law shows all of us, shows humanity our helplessness in the face of our sin. And it was there as well to show us our need of a savior from sin. So, so the law and the tabernacle that was handed to the Israelites in the book of Exodus points towards Jesus, and then Jesus, as we read here, fulfills them. So they're no longer needed in a sense. Well, they're, they're, they're no longer needed. And then Paul says later in the book of Galatians, Uh, chapter 3, it says, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the law. So we're going to talk more about um, uh, Galatians 3 in a few weeks' time. But for this morning, it's important for us to realize that between the book of Exodus and the time of Exodus and the book of Galatians and the time of Galatians, that things have fundamentally and forever changed. It's not the same world. And it's much, much better, actually, because Jesus has fulfilled the law. So let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and we'll start reading. Okay, Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. And then it ends with to the churches in Galatia. And so Paul here is making his credentials clear, right? He's sent not from men. He's not sent by a man. Instead, he's an apostle. He's a sent one from Jesus himself. And from the Father. And so Paul makes his authority very clear right from the outset. And he wants to make it clear because through this letter, as we'll see through these next few weeks, he goes head to head with rival teachers who are trying to undermine his apostolic authority. Right? And so after explaining who he is, Paul then explains who the letter is written to, to the churches in Galatia. 
Now, let's say that you find a letter from the 1790s. Okay, the 1790s is when the word word Canada was first used. So there's Upper and, and Lower Canada. And so you find a letter from the 1790s written to the people of Canada. How would you know who the letter's written to? Because in the 1790s, the, the word Canada could have had one of two meanings. It could have meant to the people of the village, because, of course, the word Canada comes from the Huron-Iroquois word Kanata, um, which means village, or it could have meant to the people of the colonies of Upper and Lower Canada. So when you read this letter, you know, to the people of Canada, is it to the village or is it to the people in the colonies? And so it's the same here. You know, the church is in Galatia. What does Galatia mean? Well, it either refers to this uh, region of the original people in the north. Now, these people were, were ethnic Gauls, right? So you think asterisks and, you know, you think obelix, right? Those people, these are the Gaulations, right? So it either means them, uh, who was a Celtic people who came from northwest Europe and um, settled in the region. That's known as the North Galatian theory. Uh, or the word Galatia could refer to this later, smaller Roman province of Galatia, which is found in modern-day Turkey. This is the South Galatian theory. Now, it's really beyond our purposes this morning to um, know which is right, and there's, and there's all sorts of people who think it's one or the other. But if you do want to look more into that, then uh, you can feel free if you're the researching type. But this letter is written to the churches in Galatia. Now, Paul has mentioned who he is. He's outlined who they are. And now Paul outlines who God is in verse 3. This, this beautiful and succinct summary of the gospel which says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a wonderful uh, explanation of what the gospel is. Now, we'll look more at the gospel summary later, but for now, let's just concentrate on this word grace and this word peace. Okay, one writer interprets these words grace and peace like this. He, he says, Paul, as he often does in his letters, wishes his audience grace, which is God's unmerited favor, and peace, which is God's positive blessing of well well-being, and that's from the ESV study Bible notes. You know, what a wonderful thought that uh, God gives us his unmerited favor, and not only that, but he gives us his positive, what does it say, his positive blessing of well, well-being. He wishes us the best regardless of who we are. Now, when Saber Norris left that half pipe, right, and she's hanging in the air, right, in that moment, uh, her first maneuver is to turn 180 degrees, right? So she's no longer pointing up. Instead, she's looking down into the half pipe. That's her first maneuver. Her life has completely and literally turned around in that moment. She's facing the other way. And what happens is that when we receive the gospel message through faith, our lives completely... Um, change way 
you know, uh, we we are no longer facing the, the you know the same way. When we encounter God's unmerited favor and His positive blessing of well well being in Christ, our lives, just like Saber Norris's, are transformed in that moment. We were heading away from God, and now we're. Now we're pointing towards him. And sometimes I feel that we need to remember our 180 story. Uh, you know, that moment when Jesus turned our life around, when he, he changed everything. And actually, uh, in chapter 1, if we fast forward a few verses to verse 13, Paul shares his 180 story. He says this, For you have heard of of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And so Paul's saying to the churches in Galatia, he's saying, you know who I am. I'm not a mystery to you. I planted you. You are my children. Uh, he He then moves on into verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So he was one of those people in class who the rest of the people in class didn't like because he always got the high grades and he always had an apple for the teacher and he did well, right? Week after week after week. He was one of those, one of those uh, uh, youth in his class. Verse 15, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among among the Gentiles. Okay, let's pause there. But when God. Everyone say that. But when God. And I love this because this is the moment. This is the moment in Paul's life of the rotation, right? This is the 180, but when God. When God. And if Jesus is your king this morning, if you're following him, then you have a but when when God moment. And then this moment leads to Paul receiving a calling to preach among the Gentiles. And uh, verse 16 then says, my, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. You know, which is strange, right? We have to pause there, right? God has saved him in a miraculous way, and he doesn't straight away go to people. Instead, as we read these few verses, 14 and 15, Paul says that instead of going, you know, to Jerusalem, he goes to Arabia. He goes far from the religious center. Then after that, he moves into Damascus, and then he moves into Syria, and Actually, three whole years happen prior to Paul going, you know, to the center of the Jewish faith, you know, to the center of the Christian faith. Three whole years pass, and then he goes into Jerusalem, and he's only there for two weeks. You know, it's, it's like a vacation. It's like a holiday. And while he's there, he says that he sees none of the apostles except for Peter, called Cephas, and James. And then in verse number 20, he says this. He says, I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie, right? And so Paul here is trying to make a point. He's trying to clearly make a point. They understand what the point is, but we, because we're outside of the culture and we live a lot, lot later, we don't necessarily understand what point he's, he's trying to make. But 
Let's read on. Verse number 21, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. And so Paul leaves Jerusalem and Judea and goes to Syria and Cilicia. And Luke actually mentions this in Acts Acts chapter chapter 11. And then Paul finishes chapter 1 by saying this, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Right, so in this story of Paul's 180, um, he says, I didn't go to, to Jerusalem for three years. When I was there, I was, only with, I was only there for two weeks, and I only met two people, um, and I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea. So why is Paul saying all this? Why is he laboring this strange point? Why is he saying that he had nothing to do with the church in Jerusalem or the church uh, or, you know, the Jewish church? Maybe Paul's saying all of this because he's writing to churches who were Gentile, right? And he's saying that, You know, the truth of the gospel that he planted these churches on in the province of Galatia um, is not just a shined-up version of the Jewish faith. It's not Jewish faith Mark 2.0, right? Uh, Paul is explaining to, to these churches in the province of Galatia that Jesus alone is enough for them, that they don't need Jesus plus the law. They don't need to obey the law in order to be saved. They don't need to jump through cultural hoops in order to be saved because they've already experienced the saving power of Jesus through faith alone by simply trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Amen. And so this is how the churches in Galatia started out when they heard the message of Jesus. Their lives turned 180 degrees, right? But then, but unfortunately, that's not where the story ends. Because as we read in this letter, they start to turn their back on faith in Jesus. They are now, they are now turning, or their 180 has now turned into a 360. And so if we go back to verse 6, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul starts the letter by reminding them what the gospel is in verse 4, right? This Um, You know, the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And this has brought about, as, as we said before, grace and peace in their lives. But now he says they are leaving that, they are abandoning that, you know, they are deserting that and they're turning to a different gospel. Uh, Now, this letter was written perhaps as early as 48 AD, right? And uh, Jesus died in 30 AD. Hands up if you can remember roughly, if you're old enough, hands up if you can remember 18 years ago. Okay, 
I can remember 18 years ago. Okay, it's just 18 years that, uh, that's happened in between Christ dying on the cross and rising again and this, and this church starting, right? Uh, well, in fact, this letter being written, so, you know, the church might have started even earlier. And in, in that time, in that 15 years, in the, you know, uh, that, that some muddy thinking has already crept into the church, and from Paul's voice, from Paul's letter, it's clear that there are other voices, there are other missionaries who are saying that Jesus isn't enough, that you need Jesus plus something else. Now, Paul, he hasn't yet said what the problem is. We will find it out as we read on through the weeks. And, and you know, he's not saying it not because he's, you know, trying to be coy, but because they would know exactly what he's referring to, even though we don't. And so he says, you know, he says, clearly, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And, and friends, how does this apply to us? Well, when we're not clear about what the good news of Jesus means, it's easy for us to incorporate other things into our belief system. You know, like uh, being, being a Christian means having trust in Jesus and going to church on a Sunday. Or if you follow Jesus and you tithe, then you're really a Christian. Or if you follow Jesus and serve in the local church, then you're really saved. Or you need to accept Jesus' grace and peace, but you also have to change the way that you live. Then God will truly love you then he will accept you. And what Paul says is that when we do this, we're deserting the grace of Christ. We're abandoning Christ's grace. When we, when we trust in something or someone in addition to Christ, we aren't just adding to Jesus. We're abandoning him. We're placing ourselves, and this is strong words, but we're placing ourselves outside of the grace and peace of, you know, of the Lord. And the start of this drift is muddy thinking, is being maybe confused, is not being sure and of, of what the gospel message is. And so if this church that's just 18 years after Jesus died and rose again, if they're muddy thinking, then... Is, is there a chance that we who live 2,000 years after Christ rose again, is there a chance that maybe we could get confused as well? And so Paul goes on and says the same thing twice. Verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be under God's curse. He says it again, as we've already said, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is strong, strong, strong language. So friends, if, if there's anyone, uh, if it's a pastor or a trusted friend or a mentor or a parent or an angel, uh, even who someone looks, even someone who looks like they're a messenger from God Himself, if they tell you um, that Jesus isn't the only way, or Jesus isn't enough, or Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient, you also have to do X, Y, and Z, or you need to do this 
in order to earn God's love. If anyone tells you that, even yourself, even your own soul, then let them be under God's curse. This person is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this person is doing harm to your soul. And so friends, if we drift or when we drift from the pure message of of the gospel, it often doesn't start with outright rebellion or desertion. It starts with being muddy about the message or with being confused about the cross. So if I was to come to you this morning, someone who loves, and I'm assuming that you love Jesus, and if I came to you and I said to you, what is the gospel? I wonder what you would say. How would you answer? How clear would your response be? Friends, it's so important that we know the reason for the hope which is within us, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, that, that, that we even know what the spiritual mechanics are. You know, it's not a mystery. It's there. It's, it's there in the Bible. It's clear. So we need to know what the spiritual mechanics are, the, the hows and whys of how the gospel message works. Because when we know the, mecha- the mechanics, when we know the hows and the whys of the gospel, then we place ourselves out of reach of the false gospels, of the false messages. They, you know, they can't reach us and they can't touch us and they can't confuse us because we already know the truth. And so the clearer we are about Christ, the closer we are to him. Friends, we do a 180 when we first trust in Jesus, right? But then we do a, a 360 when we, when we place our trust in a different gospel, okay? It's, it's like repenting of our repentance, it's, it's, it means that we're sort of going back to the way that things were when we didn't know Jesus. Sorry. The Galatians were a Celtic people, and they had their own ancestral religion. They were part of the Roman Empire, which had its own uh, religious system and the pantheon of God's. And then there were these anti-missionaries who were sowing false seeds in their churches. And so that's a lot of pressure to add something to the message of the gospel, right? It's their own ancestral religion. It's the, it's the, it's the religion of the Roman Empire. And then these false seeds which are being planted. And friends, we live in, you know, either in a post-Christian country or in a, pre- in a pre-Christian country where the gospel is not a popular thing anymore. And it's not woke or it's not cool, you know, to trust in Jesus and to say that he is the, you know, you know he is the only way. Um, and so I think that now in this year, in this country, in this part of the world, we can relate to the church, uh, to the church in Galatia. We can relate to, you know, the temptations to leave the simple truth of the gospel um, so that you're not the weird one or the crazy one at work or in your social circle. And that's why Paul says back in verse 10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. How true is that? 
verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Most likely when he was in those three years, you know, you know out in Arabia, that's probably when he, you know, he was shown by Christ himself and the Holy Spirit what the gospel is. And so Paul has reminded the church of Jesus that they all did a 180, right? And then he's warned them that they've now moved from the 180 to the 360. And now he encourages them finally to, you know, to land this 540, this 540. He's, which is repentance. And friends, there are some of us this morning who need to land a 540. We, we need to get back on track. We need to remind ourselves what the gospel is. You know, the good news of Jesus Christ, his grace and his peace. Maybe we don't realize that we've deserted Jesus. Maybe we don't realize that we have in fact turned to another gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Maybe we've added extra things onto the gospel. Sure, Jesus came to, you know, to bring us the good news, but why don't we just add a little bit on? Why don't we just give it our own, our own cultural twist? Now, now, there's nothing wrong with applying the gospel to our own cultural context. We have to do that. And in fact, Paul did it over and over again. But the core message of the gospel that we are sinners saved, saved by grace uh, should never change. And so as we close, I'd like to give each of us an opportunity to compare our operational worldview of the gospel um, with the gospel that we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. This, this message that the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so as I speak out each word, what I want to, you to do is to ask yourself, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, do I really believe this? Okay, here we go. So the first part is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. Do you believe this? In your heart, answer yes or no. Second part, he gave. He was not forced. He willingly gave. Jesus had choices in front of him, and he chose. Do you believe this? In your heart, answer yes or no. Third, he gave himself. The price of your freedom was Jesus' life. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. This wasn't a minor inconvenience for him. He gave everything. He gave himself. Do you believe this? In your heart, answer yes or no. Fourth, for our sins. Your sins are a debt to a holy God that you can never repay. 
You found yourself in a situation from where there was no way out. That is until Jesus came and took your brokenness and your sin on himself. Your sins. Do you believe this? Yes or no? Fifth, to rescue us. In faith, we are rescued. We are saved. We are redeemed. We are restored. Our past no longer defines us. Our failures or regrets or past sins are no longer the most important thing about us. Because we have been rescued. Because of Jesus, things between us and God are good again. Do you believe this? Yes or no? Sixth, from our present evil age. As Jesus takes our brokenness and sin, he translates us into a new kingdom. So salvation in Jesus isn't just about life after death. It's about life now. And so we transfer from this present evil age into his reign. We are relocated. We are now citizens of a new kingdom. Life in Jesus starts now. Do you believe this? Yes or no? And seventh, according to the will of God. Sometimes we hear that Jesus saves us from an angry God. That uh, somehow Jesus found this loophole in the law. But it's clear that this was the Father's doing right from the start. He, he not only approved the plan, but he came up with the plan and he put it into practice, which means that God loves you. God loves you. The Father loves you. He looks at you and he sees you and he loves you. This was the Father's will. It was his doing. Do you believe this? Yes or no? Friends, what I've just shared with you, this is the gospel message. This is the good news of Jesus. So maybe this morning is your 180 story. The moment when you trust in Jesus for the first time. And in faith you receive his forgiveness and his cleansing and his life and his love. That moment when you are adopted into God's family. And if you've done this this morning, then I'd love to hear about it and to help you take your next step. Or maybe you're someone who's already done their 180. You know Jesus and you love him. But you also admit that you've added things onto the message of the gospel. And the gospel has become muddy, unclear. You're rather confused, but you've, you realize you've turned a 360. But this morning, you can land a 540 unshakable. You can get back on track. You can fall in love again with the pure message of the gospel. If so, if this is you, then I'd also love to hear from you after the service. But let's just take some time as the worship team comes up, as we sing this song that's called Christ is Enough, to have a conversation with him and to allow, you know, the goodness of the gospel and the love of the Father and the sacrifice of Jesus and the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit to fill your hearts. Once again, as we sing this song, say to him, everything I need.
is in you. Lord, we ask that as we sing this song in response, that, uh, that we would land that 540, that we would realize, Lord, that everything that we need is in you, that we need to add nothing you know, to the message of the gospel, but that instead we can hold on to the pureness and the simplicity of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Lord, would you move in our midst? Would you reaffirm in our hearts that we're yours? If we aren't yours, Lord, would you lead us to that place of saving faith in you as we turn that 180? And Lord God, if we are yours, help us land that 540 and walk out of this place even more sure of who you are and our firm standing in you. In Jesus' name, amen.